Hi, good morning and welcome. This is Seek Sustainable Japan. I'm JJ Walsh, your host in Hiroshima. And today I have the pleasure once again of talking with the amazing James Hollow in Tokyo, who is the CEO and founder of Fabric. Thanks so much for joining, James. The pleasure is all mine, JJ. Thank you so much for having me back. It's wonderful. And we actually had the chance to meet in person. I saw your great offices right under the train line in Nakameguro.、Uh, you're doing a lot of great stuff. You're actually expanding those offices there, aren't you? That's right. Thanks so much、um, for coming to visit us when you're up in Tokyo. That was a real treat. And it feels very different now that we've met in person、um, in a really good way. So thanks again for that. And you're right. We, we've expanded, we've taken on the unit next to our first office.、Um, In Nakamegro, there, and we, we've actually just about finished developing that. It was a sort of had lots of、uh, wood un, unconstructed, didn't it, when you were there? So it's now looking really nice, and that's our basic community hub space that we're going to be using for doing all, all kinds of fun things in Nakamegro. Wow, great! And、uh, it, was, it was fun to see that you're expanding. Um, you're also, this is what we're talking about today is one of your major projects,、uh, doing surveys with Japanese consumers about how they think about sustainability.、Um, this is the second time we've talked about this.、Uh, so we're going to see how things have changed over one year. Isn't that right? That's right. That's right. So in 2021,、um, we did a, a big survey and also some qualitative research, ethnographic、um, work going with shoppers, consumers. Real people、um, and looking at the kind of decisions that they made and, and to what extent they were being framed in sus around sustainability.、Um, and we put that out as a report, I think, in early summer last year. And, and I had the, the chance to share that with your channel,、um, JD, a bit later on.、Um, so we're basically、um, updating that.、Um, we, the, the survey, again, is a big focus. We've actually expanded that, as we'll see, to cover bigger, essentially, the, a bigger proportion of the population. Um, and really trying to see what's changed、um, in that year, but also looking、um, into some other areas of that. Particularly,、um, we won't maybe go in so much into this, but、um, when the report comes out, so this is a bit of a teaser today, actually, of the data,、um, looking into the food system and how、um, the food system is kind of leading the way in terms of how conscious consumers are driving brand futures. Yeah, so we're really excited about the results, and I'm, 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 it'd be great to get some good conversations going and,、um, and questions. Um, from your audience today, JJ. Yeah, I hope we, if anybody has any questions or comments along the way, please make sure and write them in the chat.、Um, so, this、uh, initial page here says SOS and FOF. Do you want to just explain what that means? Yeah, that's kind of like our internal, it's sort of、um, a code name for the project, basically.、Um, so, last year the report was called State of Sustainability,、um, and we've added to that a look into the future of food. Um, so, those are what, what that stands for. But I think when, once the report gets published, it'll have a slightly more、uh, catchy title.、Um, That's interesting,、yeah. though, that you, you found some、uh, indicators in terms of how Japanese consumers value food. Because I also found that in、uh, reading news reports about food, is the one area they're willing to spend more money on. And invest in organic and fair trade. So, you actually, we're going to talk about that a bit later, but it looks like you found some consistent data about that. Totally. I think food, food is going to be maybe the sort of vanguard category.、Um, and there are a few 
hypotheses we have for that. I mean, I, the data we've got is, sh is showing that. Um, and I think if you think about um, the choices people make, when there's a really tangible benefit to you, the, the, the purchaser, um, you know, that's, that's great, right? You're, you're more likely to, to buy that product. Um, when it's a benefit for, let's say, you know, some, the, an environment or, you know, a species, it's a, you know, that can be very motivating for some, but it's a little less tangible. But if you can combine the benefits for the environment and the benefits for yourself, often um, as health benefits with, you know, more nutrition, better taste, then it's a it's a win win, um, and I think that sort of win win is going to be really fundamental to um, for brands as they you know design re basically redesign their products, services, and the business models behind them um, throughout this transition. And actually, food, it's the synergy is already there. Like if you treat the soil well, if you treat the animals well, um, that you know you are what you you are, are what you eat eats, and that goes for not just animals, right? So if you've if you're creating a, a nice environment in the agricultural production space, then it usually comes through as um, benefits for the consumer in that way. And so that's, I think, one of the core reasons why it's out, kind of coming out of the gates f first um, in yeah. terms of a sustainable transition of that. Um, it's not huge, right? And I think a lot of what we're talking about, we don't want to oversell it because it's kind of the beginning of the journey, but we are definitely seeing it. But you are seeing small changes. Uh, Charles McJilton, who runs Second Harvest Japan yesterday, was talking about um, food insecurity and food loss in Japan. And of course, that plays into uh, how consumers are choosing uh, food products as well, which we'll talk about a bit later. Yeah, food um, loss is massive. Very interesting. Mm. We waste so much as a society here. It's, it's a real tragedy as it is around the world. I think it's 30%, you know, 30 of food is wasted. Um, Japan, I think, is 38% secu food secure. I think that might be like 2018 data, which is really but, low. But also 20 million people below the poverty line. So there's a yep. lot of people who really need a little bit of support in terms of food insecurity. It's incredible. Um, we have uh, Japan Trail Cam has joined. Nice to see you here. Uh, before we dive into the data, I think this screen here tells us a little bit about what you do at Fabric. Do you want to just give us an overview before we go into the data? Yeah, so that's our, that's our office. That's the J4 unit under the tracks in uh, Nakamegra. We're actually, the, the big concrete pillars there are holding up the Toyoko Sen. So do come down and visit anyone, anyone who's in the area. Um, we'd love to meet you. Um, the, we formed Fabric last year um, in the spring. Um, and what you know, we were really responding to what we saw as a fundamental shift in sort of the society and the economy towards what we've described as a new social fabric, where um, you know basically brands need to enable culture, build strong, sustainable relationships or relationships around based on sustainability, sustainability with their customers, um, and to really act on sustainability. So sustainability isn't the only thing that we do. Um, we we work as business consultants um, with projects that aren't framed around that. But, you know, in the long term, essentially long, good long term business strategy has to uh, be sustainable. Otherwise, you know, we, we have to change business as usual. Um, so that's the concept behind Fabric. Um, and we, we recognize and are building on, you know, the, these ideas like Sampo Yoshi, um, which essentially means three way, three ways good. Uh, I know you've talked a lot, of, a lot around um, people, planet, and, and profit, and getting those aligned. These principles have been in Japan a long time, 
Um, but you know, I think they haven't been at the center of business models, and that's you know a big part of what we're helping companies redesign. Uh, it's interesting because this also came up yesterday. Um, there's a lot of resistance when you talk with people in Japan sometimes about taking responsibility for making better choices, uh, which are better for the environment, better for community. And quite a lot of people still think that all businesses in Japan are doing Sampo Yoshi, are taking care of the environment, taking care of society as a way of doing business without thinking about their personal responsibility. And I think that is a great legacy for Japanese business, but it also makes it difficult when we're in a situation now where not all businesses are doing that. And there is some, I think you call it agency in your data about how consumers can make positive change by making better choices, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a real sort of crux, isn't it, of the of the issue in Japan. I think we've, we've kind of been got used to just expecting government and business to take care of it. Um, and I think, you know, lots of Japanese companies, you know, with a, there, there are more, you know, companies here that are more than 200 years old than anywhere else um, in the world. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of leaders within Japan sort of blend of stakeholder and um, stakeholder capitalism that sort of, you know, it, it, it is uh, capitalism, but of a slightly different kind. They would look at themselves as taking responsibility for um, for society, but often it's just Japanese society, and a lot of their the negative effects of their business models are overseas. Um, or they're intangible, like um, uh, carbon di carbon dioxide pollution, etc. And so, you know, I think Japan does have a really a great opportunity, and and as a society, a lot of strengths that it can use throughout this transition. But I, I think. You know, we have been complacent and we haven't exercised our agency as consumers um, to, to push for change. And maybe that's starting to change a little bit. Um, yeah, hopefully yeah. we can. We're, we're looking at some early signs, I think. That's so interesting. You were talking about uh, just focused on the Japanese market. Uh, one of the things Stefan Ledu said from Kodo Advisory when I talked to him is he sees a lot of change happening because of Japan's connections to international businesses and collaborations with businesses abroad who have higher standards and higher regulations from those countries. And so they're influencing Japan in that business sense. And what I'm seeing as well through tourism is the international customer coming in through tourism or the new international resident also has higher expectations. So we're seeing in a bunch of different ways how there might be more movement in sustainability and how consumers think in Japan. Totally. From yeah, Stefan's talk was great. I was, I was nodding all the way through it. I mean, he's obviously focused on the financial sector where the pressure on fin financial organizations like banks to clean up their holdings um, and what they fund um, it, you know, has started you know, probably three, four, five, even five years ago. Um, but it's really, that's sending a kind of, a shockwave, isn't it, through through the financial industry and 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 beyond, um, to to do ESG reporting, um, and to really be clear on you know what impacts your supply chain are having or you know what you're investing in. So that I think sustainability, and again, you know, we we looked into this. Sustainability um, is a sort of a natural um, this sort of disposition in Japan, 
but actually the last sort of post-war economic um, growth didn't really have those principles embedded in it so much. Um, and, and hence sustainability has kind of arrived like an, um, a sort of mini armada of mini black ships, you know, um, really as a foreign concept um, with foreign words and, and different ways of actually trying to measure it with the 17 SDGs and then how they're encoded into the ESG frameworks. Um, and Japan, Japanese businesses are really struggling to deal with that. Um, it requires an awful lot of administration and um, data to actually work out exactly what your impacts are. And, and to be honest, I think um, I'm not necessarily the best person to talk to about this, but um, we haven't, what, what has changed is they're now doing a lot of ESG reporting. <laughs> are they actually doing any, any, anything, any actions that are minimizing their impacts or having a positive impact? Not so much um, is my opinion. Um, and within the current system, they kind of get points for, they get brownie, sustainability brownie points essentially for doing the reporting, um, but they're not actually taking any action yet um, in general. Um, so it really is kind of from, from here, Korekura, um, that, but you know, I, there, I think there is, there is a both, um, Stefan talked really well to that necessity, right? To not get um, sort of left behind because it, it's gonna, the way that, Europe and parts of America are leading on this issue that, you know, in order for that machine parts company to be able to sell its parts to, you know, manufacturers in Germany, they're going to have to be, be able to explain what steel they're using. What's the carbon intensity of that steel? Um, if it's exporting food, it's got to be really clear what the conditions are, where it's being grown, et cetera, et cetera. So it is a sort of business. And, and how your operations are powered. Um, he yep. was saying is a big deal. So if all of your power comes from coal, that's not good enough, right? And what you're doing, showing that Japanese consumers actually are starting to think more as you see, you know, very slight trends, but you are seeing some movement even in the Japanese market, which a lot of Japanese business owners often say to me when I say, you got to start thinking about it. They're always like the domestic market, the Japanese consumers don't really care about it. And I mean, yeah. like you said before, the differences are very slight in how things are changing, how consumers are thinking, but there is change. So let's talk about uh, some of the findings that you had. That's right. So, you know, we we're just talking there about the so Japanese business industry as a whole. Our focus is on um, what we call the B2C brands, the business to consumer brands um, and you know, we we said we we basically know that for businesses that need to transition to a sustainable model, they need to make those changes relevant and ideally valuable to their consumers. Otherwise, it's going to be really tough, and there's going to be a massive advantage for companies which find synergies between their sustain sustainable transition and the value proposition for their consumers. Um, and, you know, to be honest, we we didn't know either, you know, going into that study that's put there 20, 2021 March, um, you know, we weren't sure. We'd heard a lot of people expressing hunches. You know, the one you often hear is like it, it's low, but Gen Z, are, you know, really interested in it, which is the kind of the, what is asserted about the transition in, in the so-called West. Um, and we really wanted to understand, get to get to the bottom of that. So that study as I said, it was combined with um, ethnographic research, but the core re um, survey component was 5,200 respondents, 18 to 65. Um, and so we updated that in April um, with actually a bigger a bigger um, panel, 6,800. So that's 
really robust from a survey point of view. If you're not familiar with these things, um, you know, governments would often base policy on smaller panels than that. So there's really robust sample size and it's from now from 15 to 69. And one of the reasons we did that is to really capture the Gen Z um, audience, which, um, you know, they're now teaching ES SDGs in high school. Um, and, you know, they, they are um, participants in the society. So get their opinion in there. And also we were seeing a really sort of actually quite a strong um, consciousness amongst um, the boomer generation. And so although, you know, 69 doesn't capture that massive population in Japan completely, um, it, it, it gives us a, a clearer picture. Um, and that's basically the extent to which our online survey platform allows. So um, it's a really, yeah, and it's a big and study. Each, each year was the same 120 questions or did the questions shift at all or anything added? Yeah, so the core ones are, are the same and that gives us our longitudinal data set. It allows us to, to make, you know, essentially um, comparisons, which you'll see quite a lot of in the data today of the same questions being asked um, and how that changed. But we also, for instance, with this year, as I mentioned, we're looking into the into food systems more. So we switched out some of the questions from um, from last year with with different ones. Um, but yeah, so when we'll be very clear, I think um, here. So this question here is: when you hear the term sustainability, what comes to mind? Um, and just sort of thinking what that means, it's 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 quite a linguistic question, right? Because you know, you could be deeply involved with um, regional vitality, and that could have been your life work, which is a you know fundamental a fundamental uh, sustainability question, but not be linking that to the word um, sustainability in, in Japanese jizokanose um, or sustainability in katakana, and therefore like basically answering none of the above, which you can see at the bottom last year it was actually the biggest um, the biggest response when asked which, which of these um, do you associate with sustainability? Um, and just to be clear, there are about 17 here. They're essentially the 17 SDGs put into layman terms. Um, and um, yeah, what you can see, it's quite, it's quite a lot going on here, but let me unpack it a little bit. Um, the 2021 responses you can see are the bars, which in general, and I think you know, everything except none of the above are lower. And so for 2022, the fact that you're going, let's say, for protecting life below water from it's a little bit blurry, but let's say 24 to 30 percent, that's showing that basically Japanese, the Japanese population is catching up in terms of um, connecting this concept of sustainability to these broad range of issues that have been defined by the UN um, for, for nations to track their performance and, and, and for the rest of us also to reference. Um, we've done a little bit of color coding here so you can see. Um, the sort of like the olive green ones are ones which are, feel pretty environmental. Um, of course, you, you lift up the sort of the bonnet on one of those and there's a bunch of social issues on, you know, right there underneath. And the opposite way around, the blue ones um, are more on the social side, but obviously they're interconnected with environmental issues as well. And you can see this bias, um, a, apart from eliminate poverty, you know, that five of the top six are sort of environmental ones. And I think that's symptomatic of the fact that sustainability is a kind of the new word for echo in Japan for a lot of people. And of course, we know that that's not the case, that it's, um, that, you know, it's environment and social imbalance. Um, and then the, the purpley ones eliminate hunger, protecting life um, on land. Um, 
that actually should be green. <laughs> this is very fresh. Um, Eliminate Hunger is a good example of one that sort of, it's so tied between environment and um, social, it, you kind of, it, it couldn't be one or the other, it has to be both. Um, so yeah, that's um, that's some really interesting, uh, and, and you know, if you care about sustainability and the future of, of life in Japan, you know, it's good to see these, this growing sort of um, understanding and familiarity with these concepts. You'll notice the red dots. I wonder if you worked yeah. out what they meant, JJ. Let me just shut the window. There's a digger that's just, okay. Uh, okay. I don't know if it's distracting me anyway. Yeah. Um, the thing that I found really interesting here and often when you talk about SDGs in Japan is how people think about SDGs as related only to things outside Japan. Did you have a sense, James, in doing this survey that people were thinking of these SDGs as problems outside Japan or things that included Japan? Yeah, I think that's a really astute observation. I, I do think SDGs have, have, have are essentially a foreign import. Um, and, you know, it's the some of the language um, maybe doesn't connect to what, you know, these more traditional ideas um, of sustainability in Japan. Um, but I think, and that was reflected in, you know, what's still quite low um, levels right here. So, you know, I think the average might, overall might be in the you know low 20s. Um, we haven't got a data set to compare this um, for the UK or Germany or the US, for instance, but I'm pretty sure it'd be higher. Um, but, but you know, I, I also think that you can see that's a pretty significant change, you know, from, from a business um, marketing point of view, a, a shift from 24 to 30% in one year is really significant. Yeah, uh, definitely. We've, we've got some interesting comments. Tova says, uh, for the none of the above option, did you collect any comments on what they were thinking of? Hey, Tova, thanks for thanks for um, tuning in. That's a really really good question. I don't I don't think we had an open field for this, um, so in, in, I I think that's a no. Um, so I I, I imagine um, though that you know there are lots of ways that people are conscious and working towards a sustainable Japan. Let's say you know the regional vitality, you know JJ. A lot of your work down in in Hiroshima around sustainable tourism. There might be people there who are you know working really hard to create sustainable um, travel experiences, who might not be connecting it with um, the the kind of concepts here, even though they are connected. So I think it's a sort of a literacy a literacy question, um, and it would be it's quite not. hard for, for the respondents to to, to sort of say. Um, Oh yeah, you know, but it would it would be an interesting question, Toby. Let's do that. Let's do that. Uh, yeah. Let's do another survey together. I just noticed um, Andreas has joined as well. Hey, nice. Thanks for joining, Andreas. We've got to catch oh, up. Oh yeah, soon. great to see you. Also LinkedIn. And uh, uh, we have a question from Japan Trail Cam. Seems like a big change from 2021 to 2022, and uh, the 6,000 people, 5,000 people and plus in the first year. Um, these are slight changes, but it's nice to see that 2022, you do have more awareness and a bit more understanding. Can we generalize in that way, James? I mean, inter inter how can we interpret survey results, right? It's a, yeah. It's a, I think um, you, know, you have to be cautious um, with over-interpretation um, and 
you know, I, I think it's it's in terms of the methodology, it's very very rigorous. Um, you know, for instance, all the all the the question order is is randomized automatically. I mean, that's a standard standard approach. Um, but you know, I think you've just you what we're seeing is a really kind of consistent picture um, for this shift. And maybe if we go through some of the other um, data, you'll see that sort of consistency come through. Um, so what we what we've that question there is looking specifically at this sort of familiarity with the SDG concepts and how that shifted. But actually, yeah, if you could just go back to the one with the six dimensions there. So you know, it's quite hard to ask um, around the all 17 SDGs, but um, what we what we try to do is basically create these six areas which and group them under those and use these as the sort of six fundamental dimensions of, of sustainability. And then try and find a way of basically scoring people on their consciousness of the issues. And we felt that was kind of really fundamental and important to understanding the transition. So an example might be, you know, if you're if you're looking at someone buying um, coffee, a, co a cup of coffee in a coffee shop. So like the most ubiquitous sort of active purchase in Japan today, potentially. Um, and someone's, you know, gets recommended a, a, a fair trade bird friendly um, bean. Um, that matches their taste profile. Now, if they are not aware of the potential for um, for coffee plantations to have a negative effect on the environment or on to have unfair labor practices um, and potentially abusive practices in that supply chain, then you're not going to sort of really. You couldn't say they're engaging with a sustainable proposition in that in that purchase event, that moment. But if they are aware and they make that connection. And they like the taste and the next time you know they like the feeling of not having any guilt about the people or animals or environment that was damaged in the process of getting them that delicious brew um to them that morning then they might buy the same one again and actually that would become a sort of preference for them that they'd then seek out bird friendly fair trade coffee in the future and that's that's the kind of way that we as as sort of consumers and categories become transformed um, and make choices around sustainable options. And so you need to have that awareness of the potential negative impacts of business, but also the potential regenerative impacts of business. Um, and we'll see more of those, I think, in the future. And so that yeah. consciousness is fundamental, but how do you measure it in a survey? So what we basically did is create um, a matrix of 54 questions to really try and um, gauge people's, in the level to which they are, they're conscious of these different issues. And then that gives us this, this sort of really interesting snapshot, which is the next slide, um, a profile essentially of the Japanese population, how conscious they are of, um, of that full range of sustainability as mapped out in those six dimensions. Um, and we've got the two data sets here, 2021, 2022. So depending on how used to looking at data you are, um, you'll notice that the, the, the kind of the 2022, which is quite hard to see the color, but the purple one is the one that's generally on the right, a little bit shifted to the right. Um, it's a bigger area because the population size is bigger because it's 15 to 69. Um, and yeah, there you go. Um, and it's shifted a bit to the right, which is good because towards the right, there's higher levels of consciousness. Um, and statistically, that's the, the median has shifted to the right by about one point on this scale of minus four to 30. The mode, which is essentially the, the sort of the peak has shifted one, um, and the average 0.3. And I think if you look at the structure there, one of the big things is, is this sort of movement within that low group, which is the majority of the population still. 
sort of upwards um, and out of this sort of negative sentiment, which like I, I don't really get sustainable ideas and I'm kind of rejecting them to um, accepting them and, and increasingly sort of being aware of them. Um, so, you know, if you look at it on that terms, it's you couldn't call it a sort of revolution, but it's definitely a pretty strong and steady evolution if you look at just a 12 month difference. Yeah. A great uh, comment from Andreas here. Many sustainability topics depend on consumption behavior. I feel Japanese consumption behavior is deeply entrenched. How can we change behavior to the better? Well, Andreas is just a sort of a strategic brain who can answer that question. <laughs> I think so. Um, I, it's a, it's I think a great well, we, In your data, we do see some indications of consumer behavior changing, right? I think so. It's a survey of self-reported behavior. So you have to be a little bit, a little bit careful. Um, and we try not to sort of over um, interpret or sort of base too much in terms of looking at behavior. But, you know, I think that's the sort of thing you can track in, in uh, category, like actual purchase uh, data within categories. Um, but it's a key, quick, a key question. And I think, you know, we'll look at if you want to change behavior, first, you need consciousness of the issues involved then you need brands to be actually providing sustainable options within that category. And then you need consumers to be kind of connecting those and, and feeding the value, the personal value to them, and then using them to make um, brand choices and, um, and for it to be a factor in their loyalty to brands. And that's how you'll get transitions, at least within this current sort of system that we're, 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 we are living in, we're, we're providing for ourselves within. So Definitely. That, One good. interesting trend, uh, we are probably not going to have time to talk about all these amazing insights, James, too bad. Um, but one interesting trend which you found in your survey both last year and this year was that the biggest change or the biggest shift uh, seems to be happening from older generations, not necessarily yeah. the young like you see in other countries. That's right. So this isn't this one isn't a, t a shift for 21 to 22. It's it's the composition of those different consciousness levels um, for tw the 2022 data. But it's pretty similar to last year. Um, and it's a little bit hard to compare because we we broadened the, the age range of the study. But what you can see here is that that high level when we we basically normalize for population of the group and, and imagine that like of the hundred people, if you imagined 100 people in each group, what generation do they come from? Boomers are pr more like are the pr proportionately more likely to be a larger section of those higher higher consciousness groups. Um, so we're seeing a bias of of um, generation there, and the, it's pretty consistent for the other ones. It, it sort of basically, as you go from left to right, if you see millennials goes down a bit, and boomers goes up a bit, um, and that's that boomer one is is quite significant. Um, so if you think of what that what we're doing, there's a profile. People who are conscious of a broad range of um, the sustainability issues will score highly. Um, so you could have someone who's, let's say, a Gen Z who's really passionate about, let's say, sustainability in the fashion space, um, who could be in the low group um, because that's they're only interested in that, and they've never had to think about the materials they use when they buy a house, or you know whether the how they what energy is going to drive their mobility when they buy a car, you know, they haven't faced those choices, they might not be aware of it. So there's, you know, I think that there is a responsibility for boomers in Japan, because they've got more life experience, they also have a lot of, of the financial assets. 
Um, and we're actually seeing that come through in, in their consciousness of these issues. Yeah, interesting. And of course, this is really important for Japan because we have a majority of the population is in the older age group, that's for sure. Yeah, it's, a, it's not quite a, a majority, but certainly the boomer generation is um, over 60. I think it's, it's now, it's, yeah, I think you're right. Is it over 60 is half the population? It's over half now, yeah. There you go. Yeah, so that's really interesting to see and encouraging, I think. Um, now, this one, the sustainability priorities by generation is interesting. Do you want to comment on this? Yeah, so basically this is showing the kind of the, the profile by those six groups. So we didn't mention them before, but um, basic living needs, economic and technological development, environmental resources, equal society, um, protecting the natural world and um, driving social development. And so this is basically the levels of consciousness within those dimensions for those four generation or groups. Um, it's a little hard to see the, the colors here, but essentially um, the line at the, the, at the top, the highest one as it goes across is the boomers. So you can see the biggest effect here is that basically boomers are for each of the um, dimensions of sustainability more conscious than the other groups except for equal society where they're pretty much all the same but if you want to pick a winner it's gen z so for gen z are relatively more um conscious of of the equal society issues um compared to the others um, but it also shows it's relatively consistent so if you if you're let's say you know a, a sports brand and you're thinking well maybe you know, Gen Z is, all, is our global target um, everywhere. And maybe in Gen Z, they really over-index over for protecting the natural world. Um, that's actually not the case, really. So it, it's a kind of an, in, an interesting result. And it, it shows that actually, in some ways, brands should feel encouraged to actually explore all of the, the, full, the full, all six dimensions, the full breadth of sustainability um, in order to create shared value with their customers. You know, brands are built on creating shared value. And actually, you know, if, even if, if your role is, you know, let's say look at Nike selling, um, selling uh, trainers, running shoes, you can have a social impact through that as they've done successfully you know, in the US, say. Um, whereas for Adidas, they're focusing a little bit more on, let's say, the environmental side and putting and sort of raising the issue of ocean, of ocean plastic waste um, and of you know recycling um, and getting um, recycled plastic into their material streams. Um, you know they're going that way. And we, you know, I think we looked last year quite a lot at these different sort of uh, strengths of of brands within that. And that's an, you know that's another way that brands are going to be strategizing about this transition of where they're going to build um, their strengths to create that shared value with their customers. Since you talked about how companies can adjust to uh, change their narrative or change their branding story and how they talk about sustainability. I found this really interesting, the high sustainability engagers and how they think about advertising. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? So what we've done here is um, these two questions. I'm open to advertising if it is for a product I'm interested in. Um, and then the kind of the converse, I would rather not see advertising at all. Um, and what we've, we've broken this down by the moderate in the gray and the high in the blue with then everyone else in the, the, that light gray. And basically what it shows is that the people who are more, who are 
more conscious of sustainability issues, they're actually more open to advertising. They're less likely to reject advertising, which is almost the opposite to what you might expect um, if you believe that sort of, you know, what's driving this change is, let's say, the Greta Thunberg generation, the sort of activist, reject the current system, um, you know, anti-capitalist. Um, in Japan, we're not really seeing that at all. It's actually the people who um, are most engaged with sustainability are actually most conscious, most engaged with everything. Um, you know, they, they are open to advertising. Um, they consume a lot of media. They're very active in lots of other categories. Um, they are, you know, full-blown consumers, as, as it were. Um, and that's, I think, a really important um, sort of conclusion that's becoming clear from our work that, you know, if you were trying to characterize the consumers, I think the next slide's got some um, interesting stuff on it as well, that if you're trying to characterize um, the, the movement, as it were, it's not a sort of like, let's say, impatient activist, like pushing for change. It's more like sort of willing participants um, if the options are there. And, you know, if you can just see, look at this from where people um, were triggered to, to make a sustainability change, they're self-reporting TV and radio as the highest. Um, I'm not sure, you know, there have been SDG shows on TV right in the last year. Um, not enough, doing, not, not enough. enough right? This is something I'm saying all the time. We need to be talking about it on TV and radio in Japan. It's still very influential across yeah, Asia, especially it's older generations. It's a danger I have of only looking at the delta between years, right? And you sort of see it, and, uh, you end up sounding too positive because, as you said, none of this is enough. Um, but it is changing in the right direction. So environmental groups are in there, particularly for the higher levels consciousness levels um, but they actually come come after tv and radio and brands are up there as well so you know brands are seen as um you know quite a trusted source of information on sustainability which again underlines the opportunity that they have and then you know you would I typically was really see surprised look at brands are on par with family and friends i was really I surprised for the high highly engaged right it's japan they trust brands <laughs> yeah um, and, you know, for, for some good reason, but not always, actually, when it comes to, you know, various topics, including sustainability. What's really interesting is influ influences and personalities are not not there at all. You know, if, if you did this for the beauty category, influences... Is that my category? I think that's me in there. Yeah, too there you bad. <laughs> well, you, yeah, you're the only reason it's, a, it's at that level, surely, JJ. I hope it changes, gets a little bit more influential. But um, yeah, our YouTubers, it's a good question, right? Our YouTubers, our Instagram influencers, our people who use social media, are they trusted in Japan? It doesn't look like it, right? Well, not not for sustainability, right? And I think, you know, to be fair to them, they maybe haven't, you know, let's take the fashion industry or cosmetics where, you know, Instagram influencers have massive, maybe the number one sort of most influential channel. They haven't really found their voice on sustainability. And we actually did some research for um, one of our clients around this. Um, and one of the issues there is that they're, they're just not confident or they're, they're not confident enough in their own understanding to feel like they can have a voice. And that sort of cautiousness, I think, is laudable. It's, you know, it's to be respected that they don't want to just start pronouncing stuff without really understanding it um, but it sort of shows that there is a there's an education gap to be closed to give them the agency and, and empower them to actually um, to 
to have more influence, um, you know, to be able to praise brands when they when they to make positive changes and to call out others when they don't or when they, you know, are greenwashing. And so that is, I think, if you look at the kind of a theory of change for, for Japan, that is a real missing link. Um, I think you'd also look point towards um, pre the press, although, you know, the TV and radio there, if you look at, you know, the role of, me of journalists in other markets has been really important to kind of call out companies and hold them to account. In Japan, you know, this isn't about the individuals involved. You know, they, they, it's not that they um, don't want to or that they don't have the morals to, to do that. It's, it's more systemic. Um, I think if you look at journalists, they are often rotated around the, around the desks um, too soon for them to become experts in any one field. So they don't, you don't have real anyone who really understands a particular field of, let's say, environmentalism or governance to really, you know, to have a, a strong voices with some notable exceptions. Um, I think there's self-censorship that happens as well um, on, a, on a systemic level where, you know, they don't want to sort of ruffle any feathers. Um, and, you know, they're also these sort of quite Let's potentially cynically you could call them cozy relationships between business government and, and the press. Um, but they they also have a positive side because if you know they they can act towards, they can sort of move together. And I think if you look at that openness to the consumers to being led by brands, the trust they have for them, um, you know, typical of Japan, it's not going to be the same transition as you get elsewhere. Um, this sort of like we're in this together, willing participant, less friction. It might take a while to get going, um, but you know if it can get momentum, then it has the the potential to shift quite quickly. Um, is is my sense, but it's maybe I'm too optimistic there. And certainly, you know, if, if, right now you you have to say that the sort of dominant, um, let's say, level of of sort of understanding awareness is is unaware and and complacent, not not doing enough. Um, but That's I think really we we are starting to see the change. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, you've got, you're building such a great perspective from doing this research, as well as your interactions with companies about marketing and sustainability. Uh, Andrea says for business, sustainability should simply be good business practice. It's not about tree hugging or saving resources to become more profitable. That should be the motivation for business. Yeah, good. I mean, sustainability strategy is, is just good long-term business strategy. I take totally agree um but at the same time sustainability is a is a is a hot topic it's a word you know the, the fact is you didn't have to know where the steel that made your ball bearings came from but now you do so that you know it, it's um there are sort of definite operational and um changes that are happening and for brands you know brands too um but it's i think that the, we haven't it's hard for us in our work to go into the regu regulatory side but you know i, I think um getting the, the role of government shouldn't be underestimated either you know they've they've with the, the 2050 carbon neutral um commitment you know that's an important um it's an important step um but really i think japan in particular the way it's structured um the role of government regulation and and sort of investment is going to be really really key as well yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it, it really needs all sides. Um, it needs the consumer activists. It needs the companies to have uh, passionate leaders who want to change just for themselves. And you also need government regulation and outside pressure. You need it all. 
Now here, really interesting talking about consumer activism in terms of boycotting brands that have disappointed them in terms of environmental or social responsibility. Yeah, so we're getting here into this area of, we really sort of, that area of consciousness and are you aware of the issues? And okay, now what are you going to do about that knowledge and that awareness? Um, and so we call this agency, whether they're actually sort of using their, their power as consumers, their dollar voting potential. And so this is one aspect of that. Have you boycotted brands because of their poor record in, in environmental or social responsibility? And um, which has a long history, right? You know, I think um, there were, um, back to the 70s, there were mass boycott movements of really massive brands. And so um, what we're seeing is it's really low. Um, there's not a sort of, it's not zero, but there's not much of a boycott sort of culture here, um, which reinforces this idea of that, 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 the consumers are more sort of, let's say, somewhere between head in the sand and willing participants um, shifting in that direction rather than these sort of um, angry activists. Um, but they're 34%. It's a really small group. That's only 3% of the entire population. You know, a third of them are, um, have, are reporting that they've done it, but it's yeah, it's still quite low. And this is when you, it's really useful to be able to break, break these responses down by these groups. You have to remember 67% um, are in the low group and I think 16 in the or in the light groups so that's really the you know the most important uh, shifts there um, but yeah, didn't so it, you find that the more even though the highly engaged in sustainability uh, thinking they're a very small group but they're more likely to be talking about it to be sharing on social media to be talking to their friends and family and people that they know about what they know about sustainable brands didn't we talk we about did. that last year? Yeah, we did. Good memory. I think what the the insight there was that when I said that the groups who are highly engaged and, and conscious of sustainability tend to be really active in general. And one of the areas they're really active is actually on social media and consuming social media. I'm not sure we've got a sort of like telling other people um, data point. We, your memory might be better than mine, but it, it's very it's consistent with the image I have in my mind of, of that group. Um, you know, they are not... Um, let's say, sort of detaching, decoupling their lifestyle from the consumer economy. They're very much engaged with media, with brands, um, and, and actually, you know, spend a lot as well. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's a really, maybe we shouldn't underplay that message. That that's, you know, who who are you going to be going after, let's say? And, uh, you know, we, the work we're doing in the cosmetic space, for instance, is, you know, the, the people who care most about sustainability are actually the ones with the highest buying power um, and, share of wallet etc so um they're really important so yeah we get onto this topic of how empowered they are um and so you know this what first one is um this isn't about sustainability this is about anything right i can influence companies and markets by how how i choose to spend my money um so that that needn't be about sustainability um so if again if i mentioned that low and light are where the majority of the population is that's quite sort of a, a low level of self-awareness of your you know your dollar voting potential right um sort of 20 to 30 percent um but it's again higher at that higher consciousness level if you look at that sort of um that self-awareness interesting it's highest amongst gen z which is you know there aren't many areas where the gen z are highest um so that's at 31 percent it's quite significant um but still quite low overall and that's important context when we look at the next slide which is is more to do with sustainability, I think, you know, to maybe influence on the environmental area, um, where 
yeah, so you can see we can have a positive effect on the environment through the choices we make as consumers. That's a, you know, a really important sort of ethic and principle that you know, will drive category transitions. Um, so again, in the survey, it's quite easy to say I agree with things. That's moved from 48 to 52%. Um, so 2021, 2022, you can see the composition of that by those uh, conscious levels here with that 48 that dotted line on the left representing. So you can see how the average has shifted up a little bit. Um, it's pretty consistent, um, but it's really it's really high, isn't it, amongst the moderate and high groups. Um, and that's sort of, yeah, if, if we don't, you know, it's, it's maybe a little difficult to draw the conclusion that that moderate and high group are the future, that, you know, what behavior and mindset we're seeing represented by them today is actually going to be where everyone's going to be at in five or 10 years time. You know, I don't think we can make that conclusion. But if you if you have that hunch, um, then it's you know it's really worth thinking about um, how you need to be planning for the future. If this is how people are going to be, um, yeah, if they're representative of the future consumer. I think if we compare this to the data that Stefan Ledoux has from Coda Advisory about how uh, the influence of foreign companies on Japan companies and the Japan market shrinking and the foreign market for exports being more important, we might see bigger shifts next year with your data. It's going to be really exciting to see how this data changes next year, I think. Yeah, he had great data, didn't he? I think he said 60% of um, the sales ratio for Japanese businesses was 60% foreign. Um, you know, I, I imagine most of that is actually B2B. So that's, you know, supplying parts and um, that kind of thing. But, you know, as we've said, that's actually the bit that's moving potentially, you know, just as fast. Um, but, but, and yeah, I, th I think it is, um, it, it is true that Japanese companies, 77% um, or something were, were considering increasing um, their sort of overseas sales um, strategies in the future. So yeah, I think there's going to be some, some influence definitely even on the Japanese consumer for imports as well as international Japanese brands, which export, but which have to change their narrative, their uh, marketing strategy in terms of how they talk about sustainability as well. Uh, this is one interesting point that we've seen the numbers going down a lot uh, when we look at data in other countries about people who feel they don't know how to impact uh, environmental or societal problems through their consumer active activism. Exactly. So it's the, you know, the action gap. I want to, but I don't know how, um, because you need, you need knowledge and you need, uh, you know, sort of, you have, need to be conscious of the issues and you need to be able to interpret the, the sustainable propositions um, that a brand is presenting. Um, and, that you know that but you for the vast majority of categories in japan today you could probably you know actually not be seeing any sustainable propositions or not knowing how to express that area of sustainability that you care about most in your everyday life and um you know it, it, this is a little bit like the opposite of the one before so um are these are these numbers high overall 36 percent? are they low um is that saying that so in general just over a third um, of people are sort of feeling this frustration, which means two, th you know, two thirds are not. Um, and, but, you know, we basically know that at the low level, there's very few, um, it's, it's quite unlikely that they're making sustainable, sustainability framed brand choices. Um, so, 
know, I, I think it's it's a it's it's good to ask these questions from both sides, as it were. But this, I I do think you could interpret this as a sort of a sign that brands actually could be doing more to provide sustainable options to consumers than they are. Um, you know, they tend to like not they tend to wait until they can see real evidence that if they put a product out, um, it's going to be you know. Um, it's going to be successful. There's a market. There's a market demand for it. Um, and and maybe isn't there an argument here too for the brands to educate the consumer a bit better about how certain choices within their brand are better for the environment or better for society, and having that that part of the narrative as education of the consumer, which you don't often see in Japan very much, right? Yeah, totally. But I mean, it, it's whenever a, a, a when a category transforms in general, there's always some sort of new dimension of uh, value of benefit that one of the brands has invented and then makes a big thing of and sort of makes that actually that benefit core to to the category. Um, and they always invest in education for that. That's if it's if it's cosmetics, it's through advertising in magazines influencers training your sales um your ambassadors in the in the shops to be able to really tell that story i think sustainability is not going to be any different um but as you say it, it's going to really behoove brands to in, create that sustainability win-win with a with a customer and then educate them as to why it makes sense for themselves as well as for you know the the whole of society um, and this sort of expansion of we talk about it as a sort of that's that space within which they can create value has just expanded or is expanding with sustainability consciousness. Um, and in let's say, you know, if, if there's a some molecule that's derived from a plant in in a um, forest um, that actually has a really beneficial effect on your skin, your skin health and radiance, which is, you know, really important things in a beauty category. But you need to protect the the forest in order to continue to source that responsibly. You're creating a win-win between, you know, an environmental outcome, which is you know a protected and and nurtured forest, and um, creating you know value which consumers will pay for. Um, yeah. And you know that's the sort of innovation that I think we'll we'll start to see coming through. But it's really hard to do, and I think we we mustn't underestimate when these massive juggernauts of companies, you know, they've they've got all this inertia in these old, in these old models. Um, and, you know, any kind of innovation is tough, but this one's going to be, you know, this type is particularly tough. Um, yeah. But there are massive opportunities if they get it right. Yeah, Tova has commented, uh, we see the same issues inside companies. They want to have a positive impact, but don't know how. And that's why we need consultants like James and Tova and me working hard. Uh, to work with companies and brands and help them think of ideas about how they can talk about uh, the sustainable movements they're making and uh, which ones would suit their brand, right? Exactly. And this, you know, this shows, this is a, a bit of a set that shows, you know, the positives that which when, you know, that when they do get it right. So I feel proud when I buy a sustainable product, even if nobody else knows about it. So, you know, these, and this is interesting, right? Because this, and this it, it validates the our approach, I think, because the we're, we're, those groups are based on consciousness of issues at a pretty high level. Um, but then, it, you know, it, it is translating that the the way that that's staggered into smaller and smaller groups shows that this consciousness and 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 these other sort of um, 
dimensions of self-reported sort of attitude and behavior are really aligned with that. Um, I try to buy brands that take action on social and environmental issues. Um, so that low level, which is 67% of the population, that's at 25%. So it's pretty low, but it's not zero. Um, and, and, you know, these, I think the, I think about the environment, social impact before buying, I research about it. Again, that sort of gets lower. Um, but you know, it's, it's the, the more conscious you are, the more likely you are to be doing it. So that role for education that you just pointed out to that's, you know, that's really important. Brands will be listened to. They are trusted in Japan, but there's also a role for, for mainstream media, um, for, um, for the NGOs, um, for, you know, for it to be talked around the, the kitchen table over dinner. Um, so yeah, I think edu education and, and is, is definitely, you know, everything comes back to education ultimately, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, we one of the key points, start, we've only got, only got about five more minutes left. Yeah. Uh, one of the key points was how Japanese consumers do prioritize or seem to prioritize food, uh, more healthy food, more sustainable options for food, how the food choices affect the environment or society. That's really interesting. Yeah, it makes sense. As we were talking about at the start, I think, you know, food is one of those areas where, you know, if you, um, it, you can really tell on your taste, you know, on your taste buds, if it's coming from a, if those vegetables have come from a farm that's, you know, treating the land properly. Um, and so this, I, this ability to create synergy between, um, between the agricultural um, production and, you know, the choices, the food choices for the consumers is really key. And we're seeing this as a sort of um, kind of like a vanguard category that um, will sort of show the potential. And there are some really key concepts like provenance, um, knowing who made the product, you know, that's, that's really already um, sort of a, something we see a lot of in the food space and beverage as well. Um, and that's only going to increase in other categories. Um, and then, yeah, and this is around pre the sort of uh, sensitivity to paying a, a premium. You know, it's a bit of a trope, you know, people report that they're happy to pay a green premium or a sustainability premium, but then do they actually in practice? Um, what's interesting here is that, um, you know, all, all the different generations um, are saying to some extent they would, ranging from Gen Z at the low end in the 20s to actually 60% for boomers. Um, but then when you ask them how much, the boomers are more catchy. Um, they're, they're not, the, the, the amount extra they're prepared is lower than the Gen Z, where, you know, if they really like it, they're prepared to pay double for the not for the non-sustainable option, and that sort of like smaller but higher um, but higher price tolerance is really um, symptomatic, I think, of that gen of the Gen Z mentality. I really want to get onto the packaging bit as well because I know you. I've heard you <laughs> Do we I've heard have you time? Can we just packaging. go to the packaging? Yeah. I, lo I love that about willing to spend more on products. And the differences uh, with Gen Z, that's so interesting. But uh, yeah, I would love to talk about packaging shifting ideas. It's really exciting, I think, because Japan, you know, just actually, if you look at the, the things which have changed since last year, probably these ones here around packaging are the biggest shifts. Um, there is too much packaging in the products I buy. That's now at, um, 91%. Um, Packaging should be able to be recycled as many times as possible. Now at ninety percent, more more shops should offer refill options. You know that's a that's a really progressive concept. I find it difficult to recycle packaging, which is a sort of you know a fr an expressed frustration about the current state of things. Um, 
so yeah this is this is i think japan's quite famous for its you know for packaging being part of its omotenashi sort of retail culture um, and you see people making big efforts to take those trays back to the supermarket to be recycled like people are washing it really diligently it doesn't go out with the normal trash they will make the effort to get it back to that recycling bin and i think there is a lot of frustration there is it actually being recycled? Is it actually better for the environment? And this is another area where maybe the brands could educate the consumer and be a bit more transparent. Yeah, totally. Is it being thermally recycled? They might ask. Um, and you know, I think these are these are really important questions. Um, but it's yeah. There's one. The, the other, there's one more slide here. Is you know, I think this one's interesting for uh, e-commerce boom, right? There's too much packaging on the mail order parcels that I receive. Um, I would switch brands to avoid excessive packaging and I would pay more for eco-friendly packaging. Um, it's really on the rise. So I think, you know, that's that's another real opportunity for brands, particularly ones, uh, international ones, which maybe there's not everything, they can't control everything at the Japan level because they're, you know, a lot of the product um, R&D and manufacturing is done at the global level. But, you know, packaging is a, is a very important sort of uh, interface with the brand that could be leveraged more and, and send a signal that this, you know, and actually be used as an educational uh, medium as well, um, to your yeah. point, JJ. So yeah, that, that, that was one of the areas we were really excited about. It was great to see that one of the companies you've been working with, James, is Amazon, uh, talking about e-commerce and packaging uh, that can make a big difference. And it seems like they've improved from the packaging I've seen coming through over the last couple of years. Yeah, no, I definitely, I shouldn't give my clients a hard time, right? But um, we don't work with them on that area at all, to be honest, but um, right now, but yeah, no, I've certainly, we've certainly, uh, with our personal consumption here, noticed that I have to spend less time um, ripping the plastic tape off the boxes. And um, I think that, you know, they, they, they have a really big opportunity um, to have, have a positive effect globally, you know, Amazon um, have their um, planet um pledge which is i think you know showing showing leadership but you know i'm sure they, they they could do a lot more i'm sure but it's good to see progress in these um in these core areas isn't it and it's definitely an area where a consumer agency or con communicating from the consumer to the brand and asking for less packaging definitely helps. I have talked to farmers who I order from and asked them to just wrap in newspaper and boxes, and they have. I have asked, you know, companies, please don't wrap it in plastic when you ship it. Is that okay? So I think there is a role for consumers like like you've been showing in your research, as well as how brands can change, but we also need consumers to communicate the desire for change too, right? Yeah, and respectfully, and you know, I think if I'm definitely become quite urusai at the, uh, you know, that's okay, I don't need that extra bag, and would you mind putting it, I brought the tupper, it's like, no, are you sure you wouldn't like this plastic box to put it in because it's going to be better? And I'm like, no, it's fine, you know, not trying, not not sort of to be, it's not their fault. It's not like they're, um, you know, they're, they're trying to do the right thing for you, the customer, um, you know, which is a really, um, a really great sort of a value. Um, and it's to be, um, you know, praised. But the, the, the way, you know, we have a lot of opportunities ourselves at a personal level, like you're right to shift this and do it in a respectful way. Um, doing it consistently and yeah making those small efforts i think will does have a really big role to play i think you know that's japan no one likes to get left behind in japan right i think you know tends to want to do things together 
not to be the one that's sort of like holding society back. And that's, I think, you know, with boomers in particular, that's a really big difference. They're really sort of active participants in, in society and, and as consumers. Um, and so, you know, if, if that kind of level of, of awareness and consciousness and agency can grow, we think, you know, you, you do see trans transitions happen really quickly in Japan. Um, but it, yeah, it'd be, it, it would be good if it got a move on. <laughs> it's now time, right? So, well, uh, your, your research, your survey here really helps illuminate a lot of the com consumer mindset right now and how it has shifted slightly from last year. Um, do you take, you know, do you think it's kind of positive? Are you hopeful for the future based on the survey? Yeah, I think it's hard, you know, like I said, I'm cautious to draw too, too much from it, but it is really encouraging. I was quite surprised when I saw some of the shifts um, in that time. And I think, you know, overall, the, the biggest shifts are around sort of, let's say, uh, consciousness and awareness rather than, say, action. So I think, you know, you've now got these ideas of like, I want to have, you know, I want to have a positive effect on the environment. Um, but, you know, that's at 52%. That's now the majority. Um, that's definitely not being um, actioned on, right? So there's a sort of, I think you can look at, um, you know, there's increasing um, the sense of agency and actually converting to action. Um, we're now in that phase. So that is really encouraging. And I think one of the roles we want to play within this community and within this transition is to for our data to help embolden to embolden decisions to move discussions on further than if they didn't have that data so you know to be honest usually we would we wouldn't recommend a particular company to to make a you know a big investment or change something based on this um, data we would do a second a follow-up study um, specific to their category and maybe you know do a whole lot more research um, as as well but maybe that project wouldn't have got off the ground if this data didn't exist. And so we'd really um, like to put it out there as we did last year. We intend to, re to release it um, as a download and also to make the graphs um, and there'll be more in the final report available to consultants um, who you know, are working with clients on these decisions so that they have them at hand to sort of, to get to move those conversations on. So that's one of the ways we're, we're hoping to, to, um, to give back. And I think to your point, you know, the data is certainly the idea of that of the, all that insight and data getting into into those conversations does make me really excited and encouraged about uh the, the speed with which things could move that's great well thank you so much james and for people listening and watching uh please reach out and find out more about james's company fabric fbrc.co online they have a great information in english as well as in japanese thank you so much james for joining once again i yeah, look forward to having you next year <laughs> maybe oh, sooner the time, the time flies thanks so much jj and congratulations yeah, to you so on much. the growth of your channel and thank you james thank you have a good day
show my tears to you. I'm stronger. I dropped the armor. Now I'm bolder.